Welcome to First Baptist Belton. By God's grace, we aim to be a gospel-centered people who know Jesus intimately, serve Jesus passionately, and share Jesus globally. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoy the following message. All right, well, good morning. How are we this morning? Yeah, good. Well, I think if, uh, if I was in the World Series, and if there were two outs, we're in the last inning, there's three people on base, I would want that song, Living Hope, to be my call-out song. I don't know about you, but man, that does something for my heart. It's really good. And, and so, man, I'm so grateful to get to sing it with all of you, everybody all in, all in one room. It is great to get to worship Jesus together with you this morning. For those of you who are worshiping online, uh, we're so thankful for you. Uh, we miss you. We hope to get to see you soon. And we're thankful to get to worship with you as well. Now, for those of you who were not here last week, we began our series called All In. All in, where we're going to build our future together. I think it's important for us to think about our future. And when we do so, we want to think about the words our and together. We're going to build our future. It's not just my future. It's not just your future. It's our future as we build it together. And so the call on our lives as a church is to be all in. And so over the next 14 weeks... We're going to be diving into the book of Nehemiah as Nehemiah, his story kind of helps us see what does it look like for us to be all in? And it really answers that question. What are the steps that are necessary for you and me to take for us to be all in, both as individuals and then collectively as a church? How are we going to be all in? So last week we dove into chapter one. You may recall that. So chapter one of Nehemiah, right? Nehemiah, he's living in Persia. Right? He's serving as the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes when he hears the news that his people, his friends, his brothers, his sisters in Jerusalem are living in exile. Not only are they living in exile, but there's a remnant that's left there in Jerusalem. And this remnant is in trouble. The walls of Jerusalem are down. They're living, they're living in, in shame and vulnerable to the nations and the enemies around them. But what we talked about last week is that that was actually a symptom of a far greater problem. Do you remember that? We talked about that that was a physical symptom of a spiritual reality. See, the spiritual reality that was happening for the people of Israel and Jerusalem is that they had become content, content living apart from God and His Word. They had become content living apart from God and His will for their lives, and they had taught generation after generation to do the same. And so my contention is that I feel that, that, that we too are in, in a very similar boat, where we have far, for far too long, Christians at large, the church universal has been content living apart from God and His Word and His will for our lives. I think the statistics back that up. Last week, I, I talked about the reality that we have marriages failing, that we have many folks, maybe even in our church, who are living in, 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 in bondage to addictions of various kinds. We have all kinds of stuff that is even here in our midst, in our community, and I think that that would tell us that our walls are down. Now, if, if you remember right, there was an upside to that story, right? right? There's an upside that for those who are more committed to the church, who are more committed to God and more committed to the people of God, the lower those statistics become. 
And so the answer for you and for me, if you're, if you're like me in this room and you're like, you know what? I wanna see this changed. I wanna see God show up and radically transform us, our church, our community. Then the answer to that is that we have to be all in. We gotta be all in. So maybe you recall, what does it mean to be all in? Well, there's four components to that, right? God's calling us to be all in with him. I believe that God's calling us to be all in with one another. That's why we're here in one room is so we can be all in with one another. We can see eye to eye. I can take ownership of you. You can take ownership of me. We can be all in with one another. And then as an outflow to those two things, we're going to be all in for this community and we're going to be all in for the world. And so this is God's calling for us as a church is that we are going to be all in. Now this week, we're going to build on that foundation and we're going to do so by talking about our responsibility to act on God's call. So in short, we're going to be talking about our responsibility to act in obedience to this call that God has placed on our life. And so if you have a Bible, I hope you do, go ahead and open to Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to study Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8 this morning. The text should be up on your screen if you don't have a Bible. I'd ask that you would read along with me as we dive in here. Verses 1 through 8. This is the word of the Lord. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I, Nehemiah, took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And so the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing as you were not sick? He says, this is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. For I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then send me to Judah to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone and when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me when I had had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. And I want you to see this. For the good hand of my God was upon me. The good hand of my God was upon me. So this morning, again, we're going to be talking about our responsibility to act in obedience to God's calling. And there are five things that I want you to see from the story of Nehemiah that I think are readily applicable to you and to me as we seek to live in obedience to God's calling. Number one is this. We need to understand that action begins with a holy discontentment. So action begins with a holy discontentment. In verse 1, Nehemiah, he comes to King Artaxerxes and the king notices something strange about Nehemiah. His disposition is different. Usually cheerful, eager to serve, and yet today he's sad. 
So the king asking Nehemiah, Nehemiah, what's wrong? He answers his own question and he says, oh, well, this is just nothing but sadness of heart. And you may notice how Nehemiah responds. He looks back at the king and he says, well, king, of course. How could I not be sad? How can I not be upset? My, my homeland, my, my brothers, my sisters, they're, they're living in exile and the people, the remnant that's in Jerusalem, they are struggling, they are in trouble. How can I not be upset? And so what you see happening in the heart of Nehemiah is this thing called holy discontentment. See, God was placing in Nehemiah's heart, in the the depth of his gut, a a sense that what was happening in Jerusalem was not right. This thing deep in 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 his gut that says, this is not how it should be. And so rather than punting and expecting somebody else to step into the gap and and make a difference, Nehemiah says, okay, God, here I am. Use me. I am all in. Listen, I don't know about you, but last week when I shared those statistics, there should have been something in your heart, something in your gut that said, this is not right. When I mentioned that if the statistics are right, that somebody in your pew is struggling with one or several of these things, that ought to have done something to your heart that said, Lord, this should not be. And then the answer to that is, Lord, use me. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what you want to do with me, God, but I'm all in. Use me. I'm going to take ownership for the people in this room. I'm going to take ownership for this community. God, use me. Here I am. I am all in. Well, action, it's born in a holy discontentment, a deep desire to say, God, this is not right. This needs to change. But the other thing that we need to understand is that action, our obedience requires a sacrifice. Any good thing Any good admirable thing, respectable thing is going to require you and me to sacrifice. And oftentimes it's something that we love. Action requires sacrifice. You know, there's never a time in the Bible when God's calling on someone's life doesn't cost them something. Think about it. Think about all of the people in the Bible. There's never a time where it doesn't cost them something. This last year uh, at the well, we were studying Hebrews chapter 11. It's a beautiful, beautiful chapter of scripture that talks about all of the men and the women who have come before us. Maybe you recall that chapter, some of those stories. It goes from Noah to Moses to Abraham and Sarah, Rahab, all the way to King David. And each and every one of those stories, God's calling on their life cost them something. I think of Noah. I think God's calling on him to build this ark, something so radical, something so extreme, and it cost him his finances. It cost him his reputation. I can't even imagine what else it may have cost him. I think of Abraham and Sarah, God's calling on their life, right, to be the father and the mother of a multitude of nations, and yet Sarah is barren, spent the better majority of her life barren, asking God, God, when? When are you going to use me? I think of Moses, a man that God had called to leave the pleasures of living in Egypt, to to choose poverty, to live with the people of God, all to lead God's people out of bondage, out of slavery, and to to wander in the, the desert for 40 years, leading a people who spent more time grumbling and complaining than anything else. 
I think of Rahab who laid her life down on the line for God's people. And then we can go on and on and on and on of all of these amazing people who have come before us who sacrifice for God's calling on their life. I, I think of the disciples, many of whom give up their livelihoods, their families, their careers, all to follow Jesus to a cross. I think the point here is that God's calling on your life, it's going to require a sacrifice. But hear this, anything worth, anything worth following will be worth sacrificing for. Anything worth following will be worth sacrificing for. I think Nehemiah was no different. When the king called him out for his disposition, the text says that Nehemiah was afraid. Why do you think Nehemiah was afraid? Because the calling that God had placed on his life could not only cost him his job, but could have cost him his life. Remember, he's the cupbearer to the king. He's the king's most loyal and trusted subject. A heart divided could not be tolerated. So not only could God's calling on his life cost him his life, or cost him his job, but it could also cost him his life. For Nehemiah, the cost was great. He had to choose between comfort or obedience. Nehemiah had to choose between comfort and obedience. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the greatest threat to progress is comfort. You ever heard that before? The greatest threat to progress, the greatest threat to our growth is going to be comfort. True progress, true growth happens when we are willing to step out of the boat we do something crazy like Peter, where he jumps out of the boat. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He doesn't know what, land, what, what, what rests on the other side of that boat, but simply Peter just says, God, I'm all in. He sees Jesus walking on the, on, onto the sea, and he says, I'm all in, and so he steps out. He gets out of his comfort zone. Little did he know that he was going to take his eyes off of Jesus and begin to sink. But also don't forget that Jesus stuck out his hand and pulled Peter back up. See, for us to experience growth, for us to experience progress, it's going to cost us. It's going to cost us our comfort. It's going to require us to step out of the boat, to get uncomfortable, to be willing to say, okay, God, I don't know what's next. I don't know what's coming around the corner. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm all in. I'm all in, God. Whatever it is that you call me to, I'm all in. It's going to hurt, but it's going to be worth it. And so this morning, my question is for us is, is what are you willing to give up? What are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to sacrifice to see marriage, marriages healed? What are you willing to sacrifice to see lives transformed? What are you willing to sacrifice to see the next generation of, of people grow up to, to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to serve Jesus, to share Jesus? What are you willing to give up to see the next generation take their stand? to be the pillars of our, of our community, to push back against those statistics to say, well, if this is not the Bible Belt, that's fine. But we're not going to be okay with that. But we're going to step into that statistic and we're going to push against it and we're going to push against the darkness and we're going to fight it. And we're going to fight it with the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What are you willing to give up? What are we as a church willing to sacrifice to see this vision become reality? What are you willing to sacrifice to be all in? 
Well, action, it's fueled. <clears throat> action begins with a holy discontentment. It requires sacrifice. But number three, action is fueled by prayer. Action is fueled by prayer. And I'm actually going to add something to that. Action is not only fueled by prayer, but it is also sustained by prayer. Our obedience as followers of Jesus Christ is sustained by prayer. Notice what Nehemiah does. He experiences fear. As soon as he experiences fear, the king calls him out for his disposition. He experiences fear. What does he do? Verse 4 says that he immediately prays. He says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. And notice that it's not a profound prayer. It's simply, God, I'm going to need you. I don't know what this is going to look like, but I'm stepping out. This is dangerous, but I'm stepping out. God, I'm going to need you. Steady my feet. Quiet my heart. Still my thoughts. I'm going to need you, God. It's not that Nehemiah's fear is not real, nor is it that the cost is not going to be painful. But rather than shrinking back in fear, here's what Nehemiah does. He prays and he anchors his fear in the character of God. He prays out to the Lord and says, God, I'm going to need you. I know you called me. I know you're faithful. I need you. So he calls out to the Lord and he anchors his fear in God's character. You know, this is kind of funny, but I think uh, oftentimes our prayer life is kind of the way I fish. And if you know anything at all about me, you know I am no fisherman. You can ask Matt Hollingsworth. He invited me to go fishing one time and he's never asked me ever since. There's a whole story behind that, but the reality is, is I am no fisherman. I have zero to, to, to no patience. You know, by the time I get the, the real unwound and all that kind of stuff and actually get the, get the hook out into the water, you know, it doesn't take me a few seconds to, that if I, don't, if I don't get a bite or if I, don't, if I don't get a fish on the other line, I'm reeling it back in. And I'm going to throw it back out there and I'm going to keep throwing it back out there until I catch something. I'm going to reel it back in and reel it back in. And I think oftentimes our prayer life is kind of like that, isn't it? Right, we, we get up in the morning and kind of get unwound, get the coffee, sit down at the table, try to process our thoughts. And so then we, we say, well, I, well, God, I gave it to you. I came to you in prayer. But as soon as the outcome is not the way that we think it should or maybe it doesn't meet our expectations, what do we end up doing? We just reel it back in. We reel it back in. And we reel it back in. So I think oftentimes the problem with our prayer life is not that we gave it to God, it's that we didn't leave it with God. We took it back because we want control over it. I want control over my life. And so we reel it back in. But see, for prayer to be effective, for us to be all in, and for our prayer to be effective as we seek to be obedient and act on God's call, then we've got to be willing to release and to relinquish control over our lives and over our future over to God. We got to be willing to say, God, I'm all in. Use me. And here I am. I'm going to give you control. I'm going to release and I'm going to relinquish my control over my life to you. I'm going to release and relinquish the future of this church over to you. It's not going to be up to me. It's not going to be up to us. It's going to be up to you, God. You lead us. You guide us. That's exactly what Nehemiah does. When called upon by King Artaxerxes, he's ready. He's prayed up and he has a plan. Why? Why do you think that is? Because action is built on a plan. 
Action is built on a plan. That's point number four. Nehemiah, he's prayed up. He's got the holy discontentment. He's got the calling on God's life. He's counted the cost. He understands what, what, what lies before him. He is fueled by prayer. He prays up, prays it up. And then he creates a plan. He created a plan. He comes to King Artaxerxes and he doesn't come empty handed. In fact, Nehemiah comes with a grand plan. When the king asks him, he says, Nehemiah, what do you need? And how long will you be gone? What does Nehemiah do? He says, King, I'm glad you asked. I got a whole long list. He says, I'm going to need a letter. I'm going to need a letter signed, written by you to get me from point A to point B safely. He says, I'm going to need some wood and some materials because we're going to have to figure out how in the world we're going to build this wall. Oh, and by the way, I'm also going to need some wood and materials to build the house that I'm going to live in while we're doing this whole thing. Nehemiah comes with a plan. He had a strategy and he had a strategy for how he was going to act. I want you to notice that he didn't just throw it up in the air and say, well, whatever will be, will be. He didn't do that, did he? No, he didn't have all the answers, but he did have a plan. He had a game plan. He used the brain that God had given him and he had a point. He had a starting point. He had a goal and he had a way of achieving that goal. You know, I find it inter- interesting that we plan out our whole lives, don't we? You plan out your life? I mean, I'm type A, so I plan out everything. Every night before I go to bed, I plan out what I'm going to wear in the morning. Right? I'm, I'm a planner. I, I prep for college. I plan for this is where I want to go to school. This is what I want to do when I get there. Right? From the, from the day that our kids are born, I had this whole grand plan for where they're going to go to school, what it's going to look like. Right? We planned our finances. We plan our retirement. Man, I have even heard that you plan your funerals far before that you're ever even going to pass away. We are a planning people. And yet, and yet when it comes to our spiritual lives, we just think, well, well, God will just work it out. Don't we? Oh, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who does that. Right, when it comes to our spiritual life, it's like, okay, God, well, you'll just work this out. But the reality is, guys, that's, that's like playing the lottery and never buying a ticket. It doesn't work. God has given us a brain, and he's called us to use it. He's called us to make plans, to strategize, to think, to make plans, to be with him, to meet with him. And so hear me, over the next couple of weeks, here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin making a plan for how you're going to be all in with God, okay? I know, I'm giving you some homework. I want, you to take, I want you to take some time. I want you to sit down with a pen and paper. I want you to be alone with God, and I want you to ask God, okay, God, what is it that you're calling me to? What does this look like in my life? How do I need to be all in? A good place to start, <clears throat> a good place to start is uh, with every good game plan, there's a starting point, right? There's a goal, and there's a time to complete that goal. And here's the deal. You may even add someone to hold you accountable. Accountability is a good thing. It's a very good thing. I love accountability. So for example, if, if your goal is to meet with God for 30 minutes every day, here's what that might look like. I'm going to write down today, beginning today, maybe today's date, I am going to get up and I'm going to meet with God this morning and I'm going to plan for 30 minutes. And my goal is I'm going to read 15 minutes of the Bible and I'm going to spend time for 15 minutes in prayer. And over the year, my goal is to read through the whole Bible. By the way, did you know 
I don't know if you knew this or not, but it only takes 15 minutes of reading per day for you to get through the entire Bible in a year. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? I know, I thought that's nuts. And I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow reader. I'm a slow learner. And I'm telling you, it only takes 15 minutes, four chapters a day for you to get through the entire Bible in the year. And so if your goal is, God, I want to be all in with you. And what that looks like for me is I need to get up earlier. I need to, maybe I need to go to bed at, at 9.30 every night so that I can get up at 6 a.m. before the kids get up and before I start the day and, and whatever that looks like for you so that you can meet with God for 30 minutes of the day. Well, here's how my, this is my plan. This is how I'm going to do that. Make a plan. Make a plan. Okay. Number five, I want you to know that action is blessed by God's provision. Action is blessed by God's provision. You see that in Nehemiah's life. You look there in, in, in verse five. The text says that the king granted me what I asked for because the good hand of my God was upon me. Isn't that great news? Isn't that great news that God's hand was upon him? See, Nehemiah, he acknowledged that it was King Artaxerxes who provided for his needs. The king provided for his needs. He's the one who wrote him the letter. It was him who gathered up the materials and sent him on his way and let him off work. It was him who didn't kill him or fire him. But I want you to know that Nehemiah did not fail to recognize the fact that while God used King Artaxerxes to meet his needs, it was God who was in control over him and over his life and over his future. It was God who put it deep within the heart of King Artaxerxes to allow Nehemiah off time or time off work. It was God who put it deep within the heart of, of King Artaxerxes to provide for Nehemiah, to make sure that he got safely, he was able to get from point A to point B safely. It was God who was in control. And at the end of the day, God is in control of our church. He's in control of your life and he will bless your obedience to his calling. And so I want you to think about this. God is calling each and every one of us if you have a pulse, which everybody does in this room, y'all all have a pulse. If you've got breath in your lungs, if you're a child of God, then you have a calling on your life. God has called you to something. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter if you're an elementary school student in this room. It doesn't matter if you're a high school student. It doesn't matter if you're a middle school student, if you're a college student, or if you're a senior adult, God has a call on your life. And so my plea to you is don't waste it. Don't waste God's calling on your life. I want you to spend some time and I want you to think about, God, what have you called me to? What does this look like? What do I need to sacrifice in order to be all in? What does my prayer life need to look like? How do I need to adjust that in order to fuel this calling? We need to count the cost. God, what's it going to cost me? And here's the most beautiful part. As we act in obedience to God's call, we can trust that he's going to provide for us. He's going to take care of us every step of the way. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are you going to be all in? Are we going to be all in for whatever it is that God's going to call me? I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what God's going to do. I don't, look, I don't know what we're going to have to sacrifice. I don't, know, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I know. God is good, even in the valley. God is good. God has a plan. God's working that plan, 
And he is going to fulfill his purposes for you and for me and for First Baptist Belton. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take some time, and I want us to pray together. Okay, so we're going to pray in the service, and so I'm going to ask you, every head bowed, every eye closed, and we're just going to ask the Lord, God, what do you want from us? How do you want to lead us, God? I don't want this to be a time of me praying over you. I want this to be a time of us praying together, all in, in our prayer life. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, here's what I want you to ask. God, what is it that you're calling me to? God, what would you have for me? Ask him. How can I play a role in the future of this church? I want you to ask God, God, put a deep, holy discontentment in my heart. When you look out and you span the culture, you span the world, you span a community or a church, what is it deep in your heart that says, God, this is not right? I want to see this changed. God, we got to do something about this. What is it? And I want you to take some time and I want you to count the cost. What do I need to sacrifice in order to see God's calling in my life come to fruition? So take some time, cast your fears, your anxieties, anything that is holding you back, give it over to him and trust him with it. Now don't take it back, trust him with it. Release it over to God. Relinquish control and say, God, I'll know what it's going to look like, but I'm all in. Give him control. Now I want you to ask God, God, help me make a plan. Far too often, we deal with you in this room and then we leave these doors and then we never see it come to fruition. We never apply it. God, help me to apply this. What do I need to do? How do I need to apply this calling in my life? Give me a plan. Give me a strategy. Give me a starting point, a goal, a time of completion. And maybe, God, would you just give me somebody who can hold me accountable to this?
And then finally, I want you to take a few moments and I just want you to take a few deep breaths. Take a few deep breaths and rest knowing that as you follow God in obedience, he's gonna provide for you each way, each step of the way. So take a deep breath and just thank God in advance. Say, God, thank you. Thank you that you see me. Thank you that you know me. Thank you that you know the calling that you've placed on my life. I agree with you. I see it. And just thank him that he's going to provide for you every step of the way as you follow him in obedience. As we conclude, I'll go ahead and ask the worship team, you guys go ahead and come on up as I conclude us in prayer. Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are in control of all things. There's not a day, there's not a moment that you're not aware of, that you're not in control of. And God, I'm thankful that you would choose to use us. God, you're the God of the universe, and yet you would choose to use us in this room. You would choose to use First Baptist Belton to accomplish your purpose. God, I pray that that would fill us with a heart of wonder, fill us with a heart of worship. God, I pray that as we consider what you would have for us, Lord, I pray that you would fill us with a deep, holy discontentment for whatever it is that you're calling us to, Lord. And God, I pray that as we act in obedience, God, I pray that you would provide for every step of the way. God, I pray that we would live in expectation of this calling. And God, we love you. We thank you for who you are. And we just submit these things over to you. We release and we relinquish all that, all, all that we have and all that we are over to you. And we entrust them to your power, to your sovereignty, to your control. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we're going to stand and we're going to continue worshiping. And then after we worship, I want us to all worship in song. And then as we conclude in worship, I'm going to come down and I'll give us a time of invitation. And so please join me in singing. If you would like more information, please visit fbbelton.org or call our church office at 254-939-0705. We are located at 506 North Main Street. We hope to see you soon.